He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm you want to join me stuck in the middle, this is Dick Morris. Give me a call at 800 848 9222. That's 848 WABC 9222. So let me pick up the narrative from my own personal perspective. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was made an advisor to President Clinton. And uh, the uh, World Trade Center was attacked, as you know, in 1993. Uh, And it should have alerted us to what was about to go on. And the problem is that Clinton treated it like a crime, not a national security thing. And he, and, and he ordered the federal FBI and everything to treat it like a crime and to investigate it, you know, an important murder, but nothing major. And uh, as a result, it received a much lower priority than it should have. Um, In 1996, I was with Clinton and we were talking about what he had to do to become a great president. I had ranked the presidents in a book that I wrote, and uh, there was category one, which was FDR, Lincoln, and Washington, and they because they won their wars and were vital. Then there was another category of people who won, like World War Two and uh, World War One and other stuff, and he was third tier in my judgment. He said, "What do I got to do to be first tier?" Said, "You can't do that, but you can make second tier." And we then talked about that, and I said there are four things you got to do, and one was balance the budget, the other reform welfare. I forget what the third one was, but the fourth one was fight the war on terror. And I said you need to treat it as a war. You need to see it. I said you've got your own war right now. Just go ahead and win it. You want to be second tier, win a war like they did, but understand it's a war, not a police action. He listened. He took that seriously. Then I was in uh, doing some work in Bosnia on an election, and I met with a guy who was very closely connected to the Arab world. And he told me, there's a guy who you really need to be focusing on named Osama bin Laden. And I'd never heard the name before, and I wrote it down so I could tell it back to Clinton. And the source said that most of these guys with the Arab terrorists are hot air, but this guy's deadly serious, rich, and very well connected. I remember repeating the name to Clinton. Then in 1998, Clinton had the best shot we would ever have at killing Osama bin Laden. Uh, we had identified that he was in a, in a meeting and we identified where the meeting was and when he would be there. And it was the, the CIA operatives who turned it in said, this is the best intel we'll ever have. If we don't strike him now, we'll never get him. And they understood who he was and how central he was. And Clinton understood that. And we were all set to launch the missiles to kill him. And, But part of it was 
that Clinton had wisely told them not to tell the Pakistanis because they were porous. They would leak it to bin Laden and he'd escape. Then the staff came to him and said, you know, there'll be some collateral damage. There'll be some civilians killed. And he was concerned that he hadn't told the Pakistanis and warned them, and yet some Pakistanis would, would undoubtedly be killed. Now set this in place in time. Clinton was about to testify before the grand jury about Monica Lewinsky. This was the moment when he would tell people that he had an affair with her and that, uh, and that he had had sex with her and that he had lied before. And he was worried that if he attacked bin Laden now and killed him, everybody would cite, cite the movie Wag the Dog that he was wagging the dog, that he was doing this simply to deflect attention from his grand jury testimony. And absolutely, that's what the Republicans would have said. Absolutely, he was completely right. And because of his fear of that, he did not strike. He ordered the strike canceled at the last minute. And it turned out that we could have gotten him. He was where we thought he would be, and we didn't take the shot, didn't pull the trigger. Now, what does that say? First of all, it reflects on how timid Bill Clinton was, that the last minute he would flinch and he wouldn't have the guts to go through it. Trump would have had no problem making that strike. Secondly, it says how partisanship destroys our country. And in particular, I'm a Republican, you know, a conservative. The Republican BS of going after Monica Lewinsky paralyzed America for years and stopped us from really fighting the war on terror and really coming together over it. And I can give you no better example than the story I just told you. If we were not obsessed about oral sex between an intern and a president, we would, that now seems de minimis in its importance, we would have gotten Osama bin Laden. All of those people would have survived. So the next time we go on a partisan jihad about something, uh, going crazy about something that is minor and is not important. Not not the stuff we're going after Biden for is very important, but the stuff that they went after Clinton for was trivial. I know he was under oath, and I know perjury is a crime and all of that stuff. But three thousand more people would be alive if uh, we had taken that seriously. So um, before we go on another one of those jihads, let's remember the stakes that are involved when you paralyze the President of the United States. So Biden wants to hit us with his best shot. Uh, one of the three, or four by now, counting the booster that he's got out there to deal with COVID. And he's not leaving it up to us. He's saying that this is the government insisting and requiring you to get your shot or lose your job. When He doesn't say that, but he, it's in the script. It's in the print. He has no way of making us take the shot. He's not going to tie people down and inject them. Uh, he is saying to employers, you require your employees to get take the shot, and if they don't, you fire them. The price is their jobs, their livelihoods. And it, it's about 80 million people that have not had their shot. 
and he's literally going to endanger the jobs, the livelihoods, the homes, the families of 80 million of his own constituents uh, who elected him. And he's going to use that power to absolutely destroy them if they don't get the shot. And the illogic and the stupidity of what he's proposing was evident in the speech he gave last week. He had the following line in that speech. We have to, we have to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. Got that? We have to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. Doesn't this moron realize that if you're vaccinated, you're immune? You don't need protection. You're fine. And if you're not, what's the point of making everyone get a shot? What's the point of throwing them out of work if they don't, if the shot is so unreliable? But the evidence is the shot is reliable and that if you get it, you're not going to get COVID. So no matter what an unvaccinated person does, breathes on you, spits on you, shares shares a, a, a slice of uh, shares a sandwich with you, you're not going to get COVID because you got a shot. So how does requiring someone who is not vaccinated to get a shot protect someone who is vaccinated who's had the shot? It doesn't happen. It's not real. It's not even vaguely correct. It's a logical impossibility. So he's running around the country making sure that everybody gets a shot. And uh, the intrusiveness of that is unbelievable. What if you're pregnant? What if you are allergic? What if you are allergic to vaccines? Uh, what if you uh, have another medical condition that should interfere with that? Uh, all kinds of stuff. And the one-size-fits-all demand that you have to get this shot or lose your job is unbelievable. It's a level of intrusiveness into our society that is completely un-American, completely contrary to what we should be as a people. Now, listen, if everybody needed to be vaccinated for anybody to be safe, then I would want everybody to be required to be vaccinated, like with smallpox. But that isn't the case. The case is that if only a portion of us are vaccinated, first of all, the ones who aren't vaccinated have some protection. But secondly, it's up to them. They're not endangered. The ones who've been vaccinated are not endangered. They're safe. So you have, an, you have an option. You either protect yourself or you don't. And if you choose not to, it's not the government's business to make you do it. There are plenty of other diseases. We don't, we don't, out, we don't put people in jail and cost them their jobs for smoking a cigarette, do we? We don't even do it for using hard drugs. Uh, we don't do it for overeating. We don't do it for all kinds of conduct that endangers people. Why are we saying that if you get that if you get this virus because you haven't had a shot or if you haven't had a shot, we're going to fire you from your job? It's that important that you get that shot. Um, it's absurd. It's horrible. Un-American, uh, not constitutional. I'm sure the court's going to throw it out. And, uh, and totally illogical. Now, on a political level, this brings to mind... A, a facet of Biden that I think is very important, the arrogance of the man, the, his language, 
he got up there and he gave a speech, and he said, my patience is wearing thin. Hitler used to say, my patience is not inexhaustible. I have to chase Chamberlain to scare the hell out of him. And here he gets up, he says, my patience. Who the hell are you to have a lack of patience with me? I, I, you work for me. I elected you. I pay your salary. Who are you to come around and tell me your patience is, in, is not, uh, is, is wearing thin? And then to tell me, have some decency? Have some decency? How is my getting a shot going to help people that already have gotten a shot? It's not. And in terms of other people, that's their choice, their risk. And for you to get up there so arrogantly, so full of yourself, uh, and say this is, I think, incredible. Because you had to be a big shot, did you? You had to open up your mouth. You had to be a big shot, did you? All your friends were so knocked out. You had to have the last word last night to know what everything's about. White hot spotlight uh, because he wanted to recover from Afghanistan. Uh, he wanted to give his uh, horrible spending bill momentum, and he wanted to immunize him—not not Americans, but himself—against the political blame for an increase in COVID. In fact, now that I think about it, that's the only immunity we're talking about here—not chemical, not biological, political immunity. So that when the number of COVID cases soars. He can say, I told them to get a shot. I required them to get a shot. You can't blame me. Look at what I did. I did the ultimate in this. Whereas if he had not required that, people would say, oh, my God, look, a 1,000 people died yesterday from COVID. It's because, Mr. President, you didn't require a shot. You're too weak for that. So he immunized himself from that issue by telling people he would fire them from their jobs unless they got a shot. Uh, that's the immunity he was looking for. And, you know, it's so interesting. It's the epitome of the difference between the political parties. The Republican Party thinks of the individual. The Democratic Party thinks of the herd, H-E-R-D, like a herd of sheep or of cattle. And it deals with the herd. And it's appropriate that the Republicans are dealing with individual immunity and the Democrats are trying to achieve herd immunity. So the Republicans say, look, our job as government is to develop the vaccine, get tested, get approval, produce it, get it distributed around the country, make it free, and educate people about its use and its effectiveness. After that, we stop. It's not our job to stick needles in people's arms or to threaten them with the loss of employment if they don't. The Democrats don't think in terms of the individual. They think in terms of the whole, of society, as, as the scientists put it, the herd. And they're saying you can only have herd immunity if more than half of the population has gotten the shot, actually about 70 or 80 percent, and we're only now at about 50. So we have a lot more people who have to get the shot for everybody to be protected. So because we want everybody to be protected, we're going to come down like a ton of bricks on anybody that chooses not to be. 
we are literally going to take away their means of earning a living, uh, consign their families to poverty and misery, uh, because they are not going to assist us in achieving a herd immunity that they don't want. It's that kind of logic that, that makes you want to go crazy about the Democratic Party. It is hard to believe. Um, John in Staten Island. Hi, John. Hello, Mr. Morris. Uh, maybe we should change that around. If we want to do equal opportunity, I had the COVID, and now I got the antibodies. So why would I want to jab myself to get more of this crazy virus into me to go fight it again? Instead, there's over 36 million, maybe even 40, 200 million people around the world who already had this disease. So let's drop that vax cord, throw that out, and just give me a letter from my doctor that I have antibodies. So yeah. let's just have an antibody card. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. But, you know, you raised the concept of equal opportunity, and I want to talk about that. Blacks and Latinos are disproportionately unvaccinated in America. Um, the Blacks and Latinos are combined uh, 29% of our population and they are combined about 19% of the people who've been vaccinated. So they're underrepresented in the vaccinated population. So that means that when you require that card to get into a restaurant, you are stopping black people from getting in. You're violating the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Now, they would say, well, it's not that particular individual. It's anybody in that class. But if we passed a law that was a class-based law, but that targeted certain people in fact, the court would throw it out. Let's say we required that you speak English to go into a restaurant, okay? Pull up great thing to do. The courts would throw that out and say that was racist legislation targeting a class of people, in this case Spanish-speaking people or Asian-speaking people, people that didn't speak English, immigrants. And they would say that it doesn't matter if you don't say immigrant in the bill. It doesn't matter if you don't say Latinos in the bill. If the bill required you to speak English before you could come into a restaurant, that would be a violation of the open – of the uh, the Public Facilities Act of 1964 by the U.S. Congress. And they'd be right, absolutely. So how is it not a violation when you say you have to be vaccinated when statistically blacks and Latinos are far less likely to be vaccinated than whites are. Uh, let's go to uh, Nick from Fairhaven, New Jersey. Hey, Nick. Dick, awesome to speak um, to you. Thank you. 99% uh, of hospitalizations with COVID are unvaccinated for COVID. Right. But but year-to-year -year influenza-like hospitalizations in a CDC flu view yeah. is the same growth rate as previous years consistently from 1997 to today. Yes, you're right. So uh, the virus is, is uh, not a smoking gun to permit this duress by business, schools, or government yeah. mandate. Why don't we or, require uh, flu shots from everyone? You're right. Absolutely. And, and the stats are incredible. I looked them up the other day. Uh, you have a 25 out of 100,000 chance of dying of COVID if you have not had a shot. You have a one-half of 1% 1 chance, one-half of one out of 100,000 people, much, much less than a percent, half a percent, uh, if you uh, are vaccinated. So the vaccine protects you. And once it protects you, why do we require the rest of the country to get it? 
and the answer is political. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to immunize himself, himself, not us, himself, against the political blame if the virus continues and expands. Let's go to Rob in New Jersey. Hey, Rob. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Dick. And, uh, you know, there is a feeling of resentment about this man Biden. And he not only alienates people, he, he kind of like rob people the wrong kind of way as well, okay? Because he's a hypocrite on one hand. And the irony is not lost upon me as well. Was this the same Biden that says I was against the vaccine before I was for it? And when toward the end of that address, he kind of like whispered, was that sending a message to the uh, illegal horde crossing the southern border? Yeah. Did he mandate those people, by the way, to get, you know, the inoculated or vaccinated? Yeah, you know, that's a Did very they? good point. That, Rob, is a wonderful point. Uh, there is, I hadn't thought of that. Good for you, Rob. There is no requirement now that you be vaccinated to come into the United States. Once you're here, you'll cost you your job if you don't get a shot. But when you're crossing the border, we're not allowed to ask you that. Why don't we have shots at the border and anyone that comes in, catch and release? Well, don't release them, but while you got them, put a needle in their arm um, as a precondition of, of coming into the United States. That would be an appropriate way to do it. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Anybody in there? Knock if you can hear me. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if there's anybody in there. When he gets up in front of the American people, he says he got to be vaccinated because being not vaccinated endangers the people that are vaccinated. <laughs> Joe, if you're vaccinated, you're protected, right? That's the whole point of the vaccine. It's not like it's fun. Unbelievable. So what I want to talk about now is Medicare and uh, the Biden is sabotaging and destroying Medicare. When I get older, losing my head many years from now, will you still be sending me a Valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I've been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Uh, in 1964, when John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson were pushing Kennedy in 63, Johnson in 64, to pass the Medicare program in the first place, they could have passed it relatively quickly, except that they insisted that it be tied to Social Security. They demanded that, and they wouldn't sign the bill without it. And the reason they – and they, they won. They, they got Medicare as part of Social Security. Medicaid was not. Medicaid was totally separate. But Medicare was part of Social Security. 
And the reason they did that goes back to the reason FDR set up Social Security the way he did in the first place in 1937. Roosevelt said, if I make this a welfare program, they're going to cut it, they're going to eliminate it, and it's going to be politically vulnerable. So I'm going to make it a social insurance program instead, where I'm going to tax people and make them contribute to it. And then once they've contributed to it, they'll have a stake in it politically and and psychologically and legally. And therefore, it makes the program entirely different. It's a social insurance program, not a welfare program, because it's the only way to make sure it's never cut. And whenever anybody proposes a cut in, in Social Security or in Medicare, everybody says, hey, you're, you're cutting our money. This is our money. I pay into it every year. Nobody can say that about Medicaid. They don't pay into it. Most of the people on Medicaid pay no taxes at all. It's a welfare program. The thing that separates Medicare from Medicaid, from a social welfare program, from a, uh, a social insurance program, is – the the, contribute, the contributory aspect of it. And that goes into a trust fund that collects our tax revenues. And when you make a claim against Medicare, it comes out of the trust fund. Everything goes into the trust fund. Everything comes out of the trust fund. And that makes it not a welfare program. But now Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are sabotaging the trust fund. Currently, the commission says it's going to run out of money in 26, but everybody believes it will run out of money sooner, uh, and uh, I've, I have uh, an expert coming on my show, Democracy, on um, Newsmax, who says that with the money that was that's being spent to treat COVID and with the money that's not coming in because of the shutdown of the government during that period of time uh, – the social insurance plan, the fund, will run out of money, not in 26, but in 23, and might even run out of money in 22, and the and, and that this is going to happen very soon. But rather than deal with that problem, rather than solve that problem, Biden and Sanders are executing the trust fund. They're killing it off because they want to lower the benefit age to 60 from 65, and they want to expand coverage to medical and to dental and vision. Now, those are all good objectives, but it's killing the trust fund, and there's nothing, they're not going to replace it. What's going to happen is Biden says he's going to tax drug companies, uh, and he's going to insist that they lower their prices, and if they don't, he's going to fine them, and if they do, he's going to take the savings and use it to prop up the Medicare program, provide these additional benefits, and uh, lower the eligibility age. Now, first of all, what that does is it stops drug companies from developing the very drugs we're living off now. You never would have had the COVID shot. Moderna and Pfizer and Johnson would never have been able to create that shot if their revenues were so limited as Biden is proposing. They could never have done that. And we know that the governments couldn't do it. The Europeans tried. Nothing came of it. Uh, it was only private sector that could do that. And uh, this is taking away their ability. But what 
Biden is doing now is expanding Medicare to a point where it becomes so heavy that the fruit falls off the tree and probably even breaks the tree. Uh, and he's providing money for it, not to the trust fund, but general tax revenue, uh, in this case, taxing drug companies. So he's literally sabotaging this program. Now, in terms of Paul McCartney's question, will you still feed me, will you still need me when I'm 64? Uh, no, 65 we will, but dropping the eligibility age to 60 we won't uh, because we're not, we can't afford that. There are 60 million people on Medicare right now, and this bill would add 27 million more. So you do the math. Uh, I mean, you see that this is basically a 40% increase in the program. And then with vision and dental being covered, it amounts to about a 50% increase in the cost. And uh, that's going to kill the trust fund. Now, I don't know if you've had the experience or know someone who has of going in and getting uh, benefits under Medicare and Medicaid, but there's a world of difference between it. I had tongue cancer, as I guess you know, and three years ago, and I had very two very expensive operations, and one entire and one year of radiation. Two months, but it took me a year to recover from it, and uh, that was all paid for by Medicare, and nobody raised a peep. I didn't have to defend it. There was no appeal. There was nobody knocking it. They said, hey, hey, man, it's your money. Here it is. Uh, just make sure it's legit, make sure it's covered, and here you go. And the radiation I had was a very unusual new type of radiation called proton radiation, not electron. See, electrons stay in your body, <clears throat> and they continue to do damage. Proton goes right through your body, goes out the other end, and the damage is much more limited and much more targeted at my tongue. So my vocal box cords and my voice box were unaffected, as you can tell. So um, I, under Medicaid, I probably couldn't have had the proton therapy. In fact, I certainly couldn't have had it. Uh, it costs a quarter of a million dollars per patient. And I've sat in that waiting room long enough with other patients, there was nobody on Medicaid there. <coughs> they were all there on Medicare. And the reason is that Medicare has a totally different philosophy about giving you your own money, uh, which is that this is your money, you're entitled to it, you earned it, you paid into the trust fund, and we're giving it to you. Medicaid, it's a welfare program. Take a number and get online. Let's go to... Um, Jack in Manhattan. Hey, Jack. Good afternoon. What does President Biden say that the Border Patrol agents who are reporting that the migrants coming across the southern border refuse to take the vaccine? I'm not even sure they asked to take it. Uh, I'm not even sure the agents have the vaccine and administer it. I haven't. Have you read that? Fact is that they refuse to take it when offered. That's that's yeah. a contradiction to but his do we, policy. But do we offer it to everybody who crosses yes, they, the border? And, and I would bet a good portion of them are, should not be coming across because they're probably agents for one of the many, one of the 193 member states of the United Nations other than Mexico or South yeah. America. Yeah, but I, I think, but in any case, you're right. What are we doing uh, not requiring them to be vaccinated 
when all well, of us are required to be vaccinated. Right. That's a that's a good point, absolutely. So what I, we talked about today is first how we had a shot at Osama bin Laden. I was there. We could have killed the guy. We knew where he was. We knew when he'd be there. The guy They had set up the shot. The military said there would be very few collateral casualties. There might be some, but we were hitting him in a tent uh, in one of the uh, camps of the Taliban, not on a street corner, not in a car on a highway, but in a location where there was not going to be much in the way of collateral damage. And President Clinton teed up the shot, was going along with it, and then when his political advisors told him, hey, Mr. President, everybody is saying you're wagging the dog here. Everybody's saying the reason you're taking down Osama bin Laden is that you're due to testify before the grand jury about your sex with Monica Lewinsky. And everybody will say that, and it'll be horrible. And they were right, because nobody knew who Osama bin Laden was back then. We hadn't been educated by 3,000 deaths. And therefore, the partisan hype and impeachment and the Republican insistence on this impeachment led to 3,000 people dying and Osama bin Laden walking away from it. Uh, We also talked about how Biden is increasingly arrogant. I believe that personality flaw is going to become more and more important with him. And I think people will. So you start off disagreeing with someone over an opinion, a president. Then the next step is, I don't agree with his ideology because I disagree with a lot of his opinions. Then the next step is, I don't like his personality because I see that he's arrogant and dogmatic and not open to other people. And it's that three-step progression. And Biden is now going from step two to step three. And increasingly, when you poll, you're going to get people saying Biden's arrogant, he doesn't care about people, uh, he's full of himself, and because uh, that's clearly what he's doing now. When he says his patience is wearing thin, and he tell he lectures us, lectures us, saying, have some decency. And then he does it with the ultimate illogic that shows how stupid and senile he is, that he's protecting the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. Well, if they're vaccinated, they're protected already. What do they need your protection for? If the unvaccinated person slobbers all over them, they're not going to get COVID because they've got the shot. What do they need you to tell the unvaccinated guy to get a shot in his arm that he doesn't want to get? So I think that that's, I, and I think that issue is going to just take his ratings down, down, down. This guy is going down, and uh, I think we should remember that. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 